Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Up until yesterday morning, we were planning to start the show by talking about last week's vice presidential debate. But after the major development concerning revelations about some extremely vulgar comments Donald Trump made concerning women caught on tape before an interview in 2005, we'll start by talking about that. Now, if you haven't heard, hard to imagine, but if you haven't heard, the story is that before a 2005 taping of the entertainment show Access Hollywood, Trump made a number of remarks, remarks that because we're tagged as a not explicit show on iTunes, we can't repeat in full. Um, But suffice it to say that they were both incredibly degrading and objectifying to women. So much so that Trump actually issued a video apology of sorts, And really, an apology of any kind from Donald Trump is about as common as a unicorn sighting. Uh, The the controversy has even more top Republicans distancing themselves from him. Uh, Even Mike Pence, who said, as a husband and father, I was offended by the words and actions described by Donald Trump in the 11-year-old video released yesterday. And then Pence further said, I do not condone condone his remarks and cannot defend him. And since this came out, actually, uh, 25 elected officials from the Republican Party have uh, revoked their endorsements of Trump, including 13 members of the House, nine senators and three governors. And there have been a number of calls for him to step aside in favor of Mike Pence, calls that Donald Trump, of course, has said he will uh, not not listen to at all. And now many in the party are saying it's not really a question anymore of if Donald Trump will lose but how badly he'll drag down the rest of the ticket. So, Jay, what do you make of all this? Well, I, I was, you know, last week was really crazy busy for me at work. I was getting ready for a trial and really not paying attention. And I kept thinking, uh, I'm sure nothing will happen. There won't be any crazy Donald Trump announced. And I was going to yeah, ask you this morning, hey, has anything happened? Um, uh, you know, I, I this, this is, uh, I don't want to say I told you so, but, I think this is a sense that a lot of Republicans had that this kind of stuff was going to be out there. Um, I, I don't think it comes as a – I mean is anyone really surprised by this? Uh, you know, Maybe it's the, the, the level, uh, the tone, uh, the vulgarity. But, but you know, is there anyone who, who is saying, geez, I just – I didn't think Donald Trump was that kind of guy. I right. mean I just I, – I, so – you know, in that respect, does it does it change uh, people who are hardcore Trump fans uh, who have already sort of factored this in, baked this in? Um, probably not a whole lot. But but what it does do is is I think it's made him, um, for lack of a better word, untouchable uh, as as far as polite society goes. Uh, he was sort of on the borderline before, and he'd sort of drift into a little bit of acceptability. Uh, but but this has kind of pushed him beyond that, um, and and I don't know I don't know how any of these other any other Republicans can can embrace him at this point. Um, it's it's a uh, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, what 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 are what are your thoughts? I mean, if we're talking just the, the politics of it, the um the the morality of it, the psychology of it, there's there's a whole lot going on here. Well, I I, um, but I, I, I do think it's it's really tough for a lot of the mainstream main street uh, 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 suburban Republicans to to support him at this point. Well, I guess there are a few ways I look at this. Number one, as you pointed out, you're right. I think anyone who didn't expect this or didn't believe that Donald Trump thought that way and talked that way, given everything he said, is was deluding themselves. And uh, there was a really great piece by Jonah Goldberg in uh, uh, National Review about this, about Trump's character and this sort of thing being inevitable, along the lines of what you said. Uh, and I would recommend people take a look at that. But, you know, also... I thought back immediately, I thought, you know, this is exactly the sort of language, private language that I, for instance, could absolutely see uh, Lyndon Johnson using, President Johnson or President Kennedy and so forth. But the difference, of course, is they were never caught on tape doing that sort of thing. There wasn't an access Hollywood back then. And, you know, there's this, uh, there's this. And and, and if, if there, if there had been, they would have had the good sense not to be sort of palling around with access Hollywood or going on Howard Stern or are these sort of, you know, and I hope I don't offend people by saying this, but this is kind of the lower brow type of, of entertainment that he's sort of been a part of and specialized in. Uh, uh, where this kind of thing is sort of perhaps more commonplace or, or accepted or, um, you know, when you go on Howard Stern, what do you, what do you think you're going to talk about? Yeah. You know, it's- well, at the very fact here, here I think is the difference is uh, I think that Lyndon Johnson, for instance, who I think well, absolutely I'm positive talked that way. Uh, yeah. uh, I, he's he's one of our most fascinating presidents, I think, but an incredibly vulgar sort of guy. But also, I think Lyndon Johnson, for all of his flaws, and there were many of them, was a great man, was a big man in every sense of the word. Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a little man. Donald Trump is is really kind of a pathetic little man who seems so incredibly invested in having everyone think he's a big man, he's an important man, he's a powerful man. And if you're truly a big man and a powerful man, you don't have to do that kind of thing. So he's yeah. he's if he weren't so close to being president, I would say he's almost an object of 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 pity, really. Like he reminds me of those guys who and there are some of those guys who bought Hummers back in the day just to show what real men they were, you know, when they lived whatever in, in, in New York City or something right. like that. Just compensating for their small hands. Exactly. You know, and and like I said, it would be laughable. If he weren't so close to being president. And, you know, it also reminds me of another uh, former president, Richard Nixon, who I think also in a way was kind of a kind of a small man who was desperate for for public approval. Uh, felt yeah, he, like had a it, chip, he had a chip on his shoulder. You know, exa- it was always the like, I'm, I'm not quite good enough and I need to show the East Coast snobs that I am. Yes, exactly. And so it's not quite the same for Trump, but I think there's a, a similar sort of thing going on. And, and and so I guess that's that's one of my thoughts about this. But also, I think, for instance, the fact that in this uh, tape he talked about trying to sleep with a married woman, I would think that if there are any undecided religious conservatives – that might be a problem right there. I think there's a commandment about that, if I if I recall correctly, you know. Um, but my third thought is uh, Trump's apology. 
uh, I, I listened to it. It was only a minute and a half. You know, in his apology, he called this a distraction. He talked about important economic issues and so forth. And, um, you know, it, it occurred to me that I flashed back to the early 1990s. And I recall Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton supporters saying uh, fairly similar things in regard to his, not his comments, but his actual actions. And, you know, and and I'm not trying to equate these two things. There are a lot of differences and so forth. But but of course, everyone's going to see this through a partisan lens. And, you know, going back to your initial point, this is nothing new. This is nothing we didn't already strongly suspect. suspect about Donald Trump. So why this would change anyone's view, the only people who I would think whose views it would change would be people who were willfully blind about this sort of thing. But as you said, from a political, from an optics sort of standpoint, you cannot say the kind of things he said on the record or in front of a camera and expect it not to not to uh, destroy you. And for, for whatever Donald Trump says about, you know, I could go ahead and shoot somebody, maybe you could shoot somebody and it wouldn't affect your core supporters. But Donald Trump can't win with just his core supporters. He needs to reach out to independents and undecided voters. And a lot of those folks are women. And boy, that is not the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good political advice there. That's not the way to do it. With yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and also I say this also came, right, the same week that there was this huge New York Times story about a, a nearly billion-dollar tax loss that Donald Trump took in the 90s. And here I thought we'd be talking about tax returns this weekend. Well, you know, I think it was an interesting story, too, because here's a case where I, weirdly enough, uh, I actually, in a way, sort of agree with Donald Trump in a sense, because the Trump campaign's response to this whole thing was, you know, I know the system. I worked the system under the laws that were. And this is exactly the sort of acumen and intelligence I'll bring to working the system for you. And and. I think that's a reasonable argument, but it's not a good political argument to make. The counter argument of, well, you need to contribute to the common good is a much stronger argument. But I think from a policy perspective, saying that we need a system that makes it impossible for people to do stuff like that, because as long as we have this sort of system, smart people will take advantage of it. And asking them not to do that is asking people to go against human nature. And that's just that's just not going to happen. That, of course, you cannot put in the soundbite. We can we can talk about the tax stuff in 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 a bit because I I think you're right on part and and maybe wrong on part but okay you know to the the Trump um, rationalization of this uh, that oh come on it's just this is uh, locker room banter and come on this is just the way guys talk sometimes um, and and for our listeners they should know we Monique was going to be on today uh, but uh, but she was ill. Um, and, you know, so I, I think it would be good to have a, a woman's perspective on this. But somebody, a friend of mine uh, posted something the other day noting that, you know, there's a difference between guy locker room talk and the kind of stuff that Trump said. Um, and that, that a lot of locker room talk is is of the nature of, man, she's hot, man, I, you know, you know, check out that. And, and yes, it's objectifying and, and uh uh, it's not something that that you would do in polite society, but what Trump was talking about isn't just that. It's there's there's a, a predatory piece to it. Yeah, that that's more troubling. Um, it's not just a, you know, I, I would say even, and again, uh, 
Monique can, you know, say something next time she's on or something. But, you know, a lot of times the locker room talk, it's, it's, it's not meant to be uh, offensive or objectifying. It's, it's a, um, you know, a complimentary in a sense. Now it's crude compliments. It's, it's, uh, uh not, not, uh, greatly expressed, but, but it, it's not, it's not the sort of, uh, Trumpian thing of, I can just take what I want, uh, of, of the, that not, you know, women are not just objects to be viewed or something like that, but to be, to be taken. I, I think that's the, the that's, that's even the, the piece that's more troubling. Um, when you talk about stuff that, you know, Lyndon Johnson probably said and, um, uh, uh, Kennedy and, and, uh, you know, sort of that, that Mad Men era of, of presidents. Uh, but even, you know, think back of, of like Lincoln's time. These were kind of some rough frontier guys. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, um, and Lincoln was, was often criticized for, you know, telling dirty jokes and so forth. But, uh, I think there's, there's something different in that. Again, there's a, a predatory piece to it. And I think you're right on when, when guys say these kind of things to other guys, uh, again, there's, there's sort of two, two, two different types. And, and one is the, uh, locker room sort of appreciation almost. And, and again, it's objectifying and, and bad manners and, and so forth. Uh, but the other is this kind of braggadocio uh, that, that Trump is sort of bragging about his, his sexual prowess, uh, again, because he's trying to compensate for something, trying to look like a, a big man um, in, in front of uh, this Access Hollywood reporter. And, and again, it just – I think you're right. It's, it's, he's got this deep insecurity complex uh, that he does these these bizarre things. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess I, I just wanted to make that that point on his his response of oh, this is just just locker room talk, and you know, this is the way guys talk. And I I, I think there's there's something fundamentally different uh, about what he's saying than mere objectification. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about this that we haven't covered? Would you say? Well, you know, I guess the next thing is is what happens. Um, there, there are calls for him to step down. Uh, there is very much the the uh, this is going to hurt him tremendously. I mean, we haven't really seen any polling since this came out, um, but I think it's it's you know could could have a disastrous effect. Um, I read this morning that the. Uh, Republican National Committee is now redirecting all of its resources uh, to down ticket races. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Trump is is more or less on his own. Um, and I, I don't know that we've ever had a president, a presidential candidate who's who's like that when you're sort of your vice president is trying to keep you at arm's length. So, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think I don't think he'll step down. I, I'm not sure what position the party is in to actually try to force him off the ticket. Uh, there are some party rules where where they can do stuff like that. But the the problem you have is that uh, there are various uh, state ballot deadlines to get a candidate on the ballot and uh, ballots are printed. In some cases, they've been sent. Um, so it, it's it's going to be a, a train wreck one way or the other. Well, I'm looking at the polls, like you said before, this came out, and of course, uh, uh, there's going to be a debate that we're, we're tape, we tape this Sunday mornings. There will be a, the second presidential debate will be Sunday night, so uh, a lot can certainly change. But even right now, 
Hillary Clinton, uh, before all this, was a prohibitive favorite in the polls. Uh, she has a 4% lead nationally. She's ahead in the swing states of Florida, Ohio, and North Carolina, has well over an 80% chance of winning, according to all the stat heads who analyze these uh, aggregated polls and, and the political markets. She's practically at 90%. It's just going to get it's just going to get worse unless something truly bizarre happens at this debate. Certainly, that could happen, but it's unlikely. About the only person now who I know of who is still serenely confident in a Trump win is uh, Dilbert cartoonist uh, and, and, and fellow reprehensible human being Scott Adams, who predicts that uh, Dil- predicts that Dilbert predicts that Trump has a 98 percent chance of winning. So uh, I would say that's uh, going way out there on a limb. You know, I read that piece, and actually I would say I, I disagree with his conclusions, but a lot of the other things he says in, in that piece I, I think are correct. Um, you know, one of them was sort of what, what I mentioned earlier. Of, of people who are for Trump, no one is – not many are really surprised by this and have probably factored this into their, their voting calculus to – beforehand. Sure. Um, but again, the problem is, is that the people who are for Trump is uh, that that's a minority and he needs to get more people to win. That's small, how it right. works. It's not, exactly. it's not growing. It's it's getting smaller. And the point that I don't know if we made it last week, I know I made it on, on Facebook this week, but the fewer undecided voters there are, the harder it is for the candidate who is behind to catch up. And so, right. which is just, and that's not a partisan thing. We had a commenter, you know, suggested that I was being partisan, but no, that's just, that's just math. Essentially, the number, and, the, and I would say the numbers typically show that uh, independent voters are going to break more or less along the same lines as the the other polls, uh, sort of as as a trending. If you follow me, am I? Am I stating? I think I'm stating that correctly. I mean, yeah, I think I'm what you're saying. Yeah. It's 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 it would be rare for one candidate to capture all of the undecided voters. Right. Right. Um, uh, unless that Canada had some some momentum moving forward that you could project onto that, um, and in this case the momentum is moving the other way. Yeah. So to the the extent they break according to what's already there, they go to Clinton. As as they break according to momentum, they also go to Clinton. Yeah. You know, uh, there was also some other election-related news that really doesn't have anything directly to do with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, but I think we should talk about at least a little bit. Uh, On Friday, the Obama administration formally accused Russia of state-sponsored hacking in an attempt to influence our elections. Um, Now, U.S. retaliation could include things like sanctions or some counter-hacking. But I think the hope seems to be <laughs> well. The, the the hope seems to be that this sort of public naming might give Russia a little bit of pause. But the big concern now is that the Russians won't back off and that they may try to do damage to the election process more directly. Now they can't hack into the voting machines themselves, which aren't connected to the internet, but they can potentially get into the servers in election offices and. For, for our international listeners and maybe some of our U.S. listeners as well, elections are not run nationally in the United States. And so the most the federal government can do here is to offer assistance to states to secure their system. And uh, this week, the Department of Homeland Security has done exactly that. And in fact, the number of states, more than half actually, have taken them up on the offer. But with the election less than a month away – Time is running kind of short for getting enhanced security measures into place. And, you know, this is, I think, a, a legitimate concern. Would, would you agree, Jay? Yeah. Um, although I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. And again, I don't, I don't know what the Russians' capabilities are. Um, 
uh, you know, how much they can they can mess up uh, the electoral um, math, the electoral. Uh, I mean, I, I guess they could, you know, you shut down a secretary of state's system in a, in a given state and they can't report back. And, you know, you're sort of thrown into a tizzy there. Now, I, I, you'd still have all the local results that could still be recounted and, and so forth, but it would be a, a passel and a problem. Um, there could be, you know, opens up to either side to bring up court challenges. Um, so, so yeah, certainly it's, it's, it's not a good thing. Um, the suggestion that we would counter hack the Russians, I, I, that's, that seems to me just sort of strange, but. Well, we already are. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> but. But, you know, I think to me there are two things here. Number one, it highlights for me the problem of an open society fighting a closed society in this sort of thing. Uh, closed societies, at least in the short run, like Russia, which is not at all democratic. They have elections, but, um, right. so, you know. So we're going to hack their elections? Yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. That's the point is that Putin, it's. Putin only wins by 97%. Right. And an open society is always at a disadvantage in the short run. Now, I think longer run, it's a strength, but that's a problem. Secondly, is the problem of poor election funding. Nobody wants to put money into election funding because it's kind of like a, an infrastructure type of thing. Is no one cares about it until it breaks. And so it's always it's always a low priority. Uh, if we were going to do anything huge about that, it would have happened after 2000 when there was the fiasco with the butterfly ballots that you can certainly argue you know, totally changed who ended up being president, but and that didn't happen. It happened in a in, it sort of in a way, but it didn't happen in nearly a big enough way. And I think that's just fundamentally an issue with the fact that we do not have nationally funded and nationally run presidential elections. It's at the state and local level. And so you're going to, given the fact that state and local governments are so strapped for, for funding, that's never going to never going to be a priority, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on. Uh, you know, there was, of course, a vice presidential debate in the last week in, in which Clinton running mate uh, Tim Kaine sort of channeled his inner Donald Trump, uh, interrupting Trump's number two, Mike Pence, an astounding 72 times, which is a whole lot more than Trump interrupted Clinton during their first debate. Now, while there were millions of people who watched Mike Pence sort of Kind of deftly parry Kane's attempts to defend Trump. Uh, the audience was a lot smaller than for the first presidential debate, as you would expect. But in fact, the viewing audience was smaller than for either of the last two vice presidential debates in 2008 and 2012. Uh, doesn't surprise me. This is definitely a star driven sort of presidential election. And honestly, uh, vice presidential debates, even in the best of times, don't really matter a whole lot. And especially given what's going on, I think the vice presidential debate, tiny little blip of uh, almost no significance, I would say. What do you think, Jay? I, I would say, you know, it, it might have had some significance earlier in the week because the general consensus was that Mike Pence won. Uh, Whatever that he means. came out looking like a, a grown up. Um, and and there was there there was, again, just for an instant, just for a moment, <laughs> there was a sense of reassurance uh, among uh, Republicans or conservatives that Okay, it you know, uh, you know, it, the Trump might it might be okay uh, because we'd have sort of a a cool, steady hand, uh, traditional uh, conservative Republican there standing behind Trump, um, and and that you had this this sense of, and again, I, I go through these these stages you know weekly, um, 
that oh well well maybe maybe it will be okay and then really again just a couple of days later it's it's no no it maybe, won't be maybe <laughs> I mean, it will so, be okay because the vice president is good I mean that that just seems like well, I, I'm, I'm saying you 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 grab for whatever okay what, I see it was out there I mean, grasping I mean, at straws gotcha okay yeah. all right yeah uh, and and this this was also I was gonna post something on this because because we we do have one. Um, we say we respond to all the uh, questions, and there's one that we still haven't responded to, and that's that's uh, what am I going to do with the election? And the reason is I I just really don't know. Um, I think I I know now, but um, you know the the theory among a lot of very hesitant Trump supporters is well, look if he surrounds himself with good people, um, uh, you know it'll it'll be fine. Uh, but the the problem that I've I've seen after the first debate. Uh, with the, then the 3 a.m. tweeting about a, a former Miss Universe 20 years ago, uh, it tells me that that no, this this guy isn't going to take direction uh, from anybody uh, anyway. Um, and again, you think, well, maybe this the, the Pence thing helped. Uh, and it also there's there's some thought that that this kind of there might be even sort of a little bit of a backlash that uh, Pence showing up and appearing as the cool, competent sort of traditional candidate. Uh, uh, paints such a a contrast to Trump um, that that he looks he looks bad in, in comparison. But uh, the, I think the new stuff has kind of blown blown the vice presidential discussion out of the water at this point, anyway. So yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, you know, before we get to our next story, uh, we we should take a minute to thank our new supporters for this week. Uh, first, we have Nev from Brisbane, Brisbane, Australia, uh, a new monthly Patreon supporter of the show, and, and Nev writes. I'm a bit of an addict when it comes to following this year's election because your crazy political system is both endlessly entertaining and seemingly so dysfunctional and screwed up. So I appreciate the politics guys for the balance and reasonableness that between you, you maintain. Thank you for the podcast. Well, Keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and of course, if you're interested in joining Nev as a monthly sustaining contributor, just go to politicsguys.com, click on the PayPal or Patreon donation links. Uh, you can do a once a month contribution with either Patreon or PayPal. Uh, and of course, you can make a one-time donation to through uh, PayPal. And when you're on our site there, be sure to check out our listener rewards. We would appreciate it. Okay, um, moving on to something that's not the presidential race. Yes, um, last month, the Obama administration agreed to give Israel $38 billion in military aid over the next decade. That's the biggest military aid package in American history. Now, when critics questioned this, uh, one explanation was given was, well, that amount of aid is going to allow the United States to have leverage over Israel, influencing them with a great big carrot instead of a stick. Not that the United States would ever dream of a stick approach with Israel, but it turns out that $38 billion apparently is not enough of a carrot. Uh, the Netanyahu government has announced yet another new illegal settlement in the West Bank over U.S. diplomatic protests. And according to White House spokesperson Josh Earnest, the administration received assurances at the time that that $38 billion deal was signed that there would be no new settlements. Now, the Israeli foreign minister responded with the ludicrous claim that the creation of up to 300 new houses doesn't constitute a new settlement, uh, proving yet again that the United States continues to bow to the powerful Israeli lobby, putting re-election fears ahead of the long-term security interests of the Middle East and the United States. And I'd be outraged and embarrassed if I hadn't seen this happen so many times in the past. 
Uh, so I think my position on this is pretty clear. Uh, Jay, what do you wow. think? I, I look. I, I think. I think there's two issues here. Um, you can agree or disagree with with what the Israelis do with settlements. Um, the international the community is, disagrees, by the way. But go ahead. Well, well, I'll speak to that in a second. But they they are our only reliable ally in the Middle East. Uh, period. And they are they are surrounded by uh, very hostile folks um, who intend, in their their own words, to wipe them off the map. Um, so I, I think Israel, the U.S. needs to support Israel in a big way, security wise, regardless of settlement issues. Now, if you if you if you're one of these folks who takes the opinion that, oh, if, if the Israelis and uh, if there was some Israeli-Palestinian peace, uh, if the Israelis pulled out all the settlements, uh, there would be peace in the Middle East, I, I think that's incredibly naive and short-sighted. Um, you know, when you have statements from the Iranians that they are going to wipe out the country and, and similar statements through, throughout the Middle East. This is not um, – the Middle East problem is not about the Palestinians. Uh, it, it hasn't been for for quite a while. Uh, it's it's about something entirely different. Um, sure, does that play into it? Yeah, but uh, uh, the idea that if we solve that problem, uh, the other security threats in the Middle East go away, I think is is just nonsense. Uh, and I also just I, I like to hit on the a little bit of the, the liberal hypocrisy on the, the Israeli settlement. So that you know the the, the as I understand it, the argument is you've got people who are moving uh, into a, a different territory that is, uh, you know, in one way or another, they're not supposed to be. They're they're moving in illegally, and they're bringing in a different culture and a, a different uh, different way of life and a different language and uh, different values and so forth. Um, and uh, this has to be stopped. And I, you know, I can only imagine living in a country where that sort of thing goes on. But it's to me, it just it just seems sort of sort of funny. I mean, that that you have liberals who who will go after uh, uh, Trump and make fun of him for his wall, but uh, at the same time uh, insist that the Israelis, um, uh, you know, cannot uh, have have settlers moving into Palestinian areas. Um, I, it's it's just something that I again I think is uh, incredibly uh, hypocritical. Um, sure, I think and, it's uh, important to I think it's important to support uh, uh, brutal uh, regimes that uh, violate international norms. We should probably give them a couple hundred billion dollars. But, you know, I, I'm joking, obviously, but the thing to me is it, it seems to me I understand your argument that there are ally. They, they, I guess they don't really seem to want to go along with anything we want to do, and we give them billions of dollars that with those kind of allies. But I get what you're saying. They're a democratic regime. Uh, at least they treat their citizens democratically. They trample all over the Palestinians. I feel, and a lot of people feel, that what they are doing, their their foreign policy, basically sets up a pattern of greater instability in the region, and sure, while taking care of the Palestinian problem, issue, however you want to call it, will not 
solve the Middle East. That's a much bigger problem, and you make a very good point about that. I think it's it's a reasonable argument to say that the approach that the Israelis are taking is making a bad situation worse, and I feel like what we're doing is we're enabling destructive behavior on their part. And so if they want to do that, that's fine. But I don't think we should support any sort of any sort of action that takes an already unstable region and makes it worse. And I think if we had a little more backbone and said, listen, we want to be your friends, but we cannot support you in your legitimate defense interests if you're going to do something that's going to continue the situation that makes it so vital that you spend billions and billions of dollars in defense. And and so that's how well, I see the situation. Well, keep in mind, a lot of Israelis would also view that, that settlements uh, moving into that area as part of a defense solution. Yeah, but and but I mean, I mean that's, I that's, that's that's like saying, well, you know, it, uh, invading Poland's a good idea because they're dangerous. I mean, it's not their territory. Well, so saying, well, it would be nice if we could territory was acquired in the first place. And it, it was it was acquired in a what was a defensive war uh, that neighbors launched against Israel and Israel expanded out, took the West Bank um, and and have for for some time now suffered uh, the lobbing of bombs and rockets into their their cities and, and civilian centers Um and and again, there's this this <laughs> the Palestinian insistence that uh, uh, no Jews can live in our uh, in, in this area. Uh, you know, again, if if you were to have that, don't get me started. Um, you know, the, that's sort of a similar uh, policy at a country club or something. Uh, obviously, everyone would be be furious and rightly so. Uh, but I don't it's think somehow so. it's okay. It's somehow it's okay for the Palestinians. Uh, to say that uh, you know these, we can't have any any uh, Jewish uh, Israelis moving into our territory. Well, it's it's horribly offensive. I, I, I Likewise, totally disagree. If, if you say I don't want Mexicans living in Texas. Uh, you're you're viewed as uh, racist. But. It's, I think it's like saying that if an occupying power would come and, in, for instance, the Canadians would come and invade, I don't know, Wisconsin or something like that, and then then saying, well, Wisconsin, they have no right having a policy saying that you can keep out Canadians. I mean, they're an occupying power. And I think that's, you know, that's not just something that, that I'm saying. That's something that the international community has agreed on. The United States and Israel are kind of alone on this. And I think I, I agree with the international community on this. They're, they that's the problem. Is there an occupying power? Well, and in my position is, I think they they have to be, and they they did so in in a defensive war. And if they weren't an occupying power, they'd be essentially a, a, a state at war. Um, which I mean, they almost they almost are. Yeah, exactly. And I think so, they, they set so themselves I mean, up I, for I, perpetual know, what, war. Their, their their strategy is is to to sort of pacify this area through settlements. Um, and, and I, uh, I get it, and it's an it's a it's an illegal strategy. It violates international law, and we're we're supporting that with billions of dollars. Well, we're not we're we're supporting other things with billions of dollars, <laughs> and we'd still have to pay those billions of dollars anyway. We'd still have um, to pay them. Well, I mean, with like we yeah, don't have a choice. Like, we can't no, say think, we can't choose to not do that. I think you. Well, we could we could choose, but we would do so at uh, to our detriment from a national security standpoint. If if Israel were to be overrun uh, or if Israel were more likely to appear weak to its neighbors and, and, you and invite an attack. I, I think that's that's the bigger, bigger issue because I think the, the psychology of the Middle East is it 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 preys on weakness. But and you if, don't if you, you don't agree weak. You will. 
Right. We I agree. On that. No, yeah. I no, I totally agree with oh. you about that. But what I'm saying is that don't you think that if the Israelis thought there was legitimate the Israeli government, sorry, thought that there was a, a legitimate possibility that we might actually withdraw some aid, that we would actually have more leverage? Because right now it seems like we give them billions of dollars and they ignore us. And uh, yeah. because they know that we're going to keep on giving them billions of dollars. And so I'm suggesting that's a dysfunctional relationship. And if there's, if they, they have no legitimate fear that we might, I mean, you, you talked about, you know, that idea of weakness being a problem. It seems to me that we are the weak ones here because we're basically, we're, we're, we're basically just throwing money at them and they're going to do whatever they want. And if we want to have any legitimate influence with them, there needs to be a real threat that that money might not always be there or, or, or else we're just throwing our money away. Right. But I don't, I don't, I think just the, the, the situation on the ground, the facts are what they are. Um, Israel knows that that's that's not going to happen, right? And that's the we, problem. We value we value that that relationship more. And and look, this is it's you know if you want to say it's kind of like bargaining in the marketplace. And look, they they realize they are in a strong position uh, to bargain. And, well, I think they are. You're right. They take advantage of. It. I yeah, to- so I totally I, agree. Yeah, I, I totally mean, I suppose, agree. I mean, if you want to say no, you're not in a strong position. You can say that, but. But that doesn't change the, the facts. No, you're right. They're in a strong position because there aren't enough people in Congress with the backbone to stand up or, or, the, or, in, the, or in the White House for that matter. So I absolutely agree with you about that. They, they definitely are in a strong position. And I don't blame them for taking advantage of it. I mean, I, if I were uh, in their position, I would probably do the same thing. But I just wish we would be stronger and more resolute than what we are. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Okay, um, let's move on to listener mail. We actually have a, a few, I think, really good questions this week. Um, okay. First is from Andrew in Folsom, California. Andrew writes, I keep hearing about all the consequences that Donald Trump becoming the Republican nominee will have on the party. Could you explain this more, what exactly these effects would be? I've heard of a possible split, a new party, and a whole lot more, but I don't know enough to make a decision on whether I believe these predictions. So, Jay, um, what do you think will happen to your party in the aftermath of Trump? Well, like Yogi Berra said, I mean, predictions are always tough, especially about the future. Um, I, I, I don't know. My sense is that Trump is a um, sort of a, a blip. Uh, it's an, he's an unusual occurrence who, who happened along. He's an unusual person who happened along in an unusual year. Uh, and it's it's not going to be a lasting thing. I think if Trump goes down to a a solid defeat this November, uh, the party will uh, revamp itself and maybe take some of his approach uh, and and try to reach out more to to working class people. Um, uh, but I think it it would be seen as a if Trump loses, it'll be be a victory for the Republican establishment. Uh, the Republican establishment will say, like I did at the beginning of the show, I told you so. We told you so. Um, and and I think there will be the opportunity to retrench. If if Trump wins or does well, uh, that's that's a whole different different situation, especially under uh, the circumstances that have, have come to light this week. Um, uh, Trump is, is so toxic, it, it's really difficult for Republicans to cozy up to him. Um even if they share policy goals, which in most cases they don't, or at least in a lot of big cases they don't. Um, so 
you know, what, what happens, uh, who knows? I think there's going to be a lot of jockeying. Um, hopefully the party will get it together. I, I think, I think part of the problem, um, the Republicans had that even sort of created the Trump situation was there was there was too much jockeying. There was too much of a, a vacuum that uh, people wanted to fill. And you had this field of, of 17 candidates and Trump was the one with the most name ID and the loudest voice and the others sort of uh, no one could get traction. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe in the future there is more more forethought in the party uh, as far as saying, look, here is going to be our nominee or a set of nominees. Um, and and you, you, you don't have that Trump getting that initial rise just because there's so much confusion, so many other candidates. Um, what about is, what about if uh, Trump loses, as is probably going to happen, but he doesn't concede? He's made noises about that. He's talked about rigged elections and so forth, uh, and that's certainly a possibility. It, it seems bizarre, but I I wouldn't be stunned to see Trump lose and say, you know what, I I actually I don't I don't buy this. Uh, how does that change things? Well, I, I think at that point the rest of the Republican Party walks away from him. Uh, I don't see the Republican Party. Uh, I mean, unless you know, let's put it this way: if it is, if it's a a very close election and there's some credible claim of fraud or the the election being rigged, that's one thing. Uh, if Trump gets shellacked and still says, "Oh, it was rigged," and I'm not conceding, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that that every responsible Republican will say, "No, this this guy's on his own," um, and we have a judicial system to take care of that. If it comes to it, uh, that will say no. This Hillary is the president. I mean, but but what happens? I guess Trump. What, I'm sorry, you can concede or not yeah, concede. But but what I mean is, going forward, what happens to that forty something percent of the the uh, of electorate that will have voted for Donald Trump? I mean, all of a sudden, if he doesn't concede, that makes it. It seems to me a lot harder for the Republican Party to come together because there are going to be uh, millions of Americans who will believe Donald Trump when he says this was rigged and we actually won, and and the system is the system is corrupt. And so doesn't that make the job of Republicans going forward a lot harder? And maybe Trump decides to do that anyway because he thinks, you know, the Republican Party threw me under the bus. And so I'm going to I'm going to throw them under the bus as my kind of final parting, uh, you know, screw you kind of thing. Yeah, I could see him doing um, that. It's the kind of uh, the kind of fit of peak that, I, you know, I, I absolutely seems totally in line with what I think I understand about his character. Yeah, I think he could, but I think that that movement starts to lose momentum. Uh, it starts to peter out. Um, do you remember? Do you remember the USFL? Oh yeah. The, I mean, the football again, league. that was yeah. a, a Trump creation. Uh, it was going to be huge. Uh, the New New Jersey Generals and and so forth, uh, and that lasted about a year and a half or something. I think. Um, I, I think you know if Trump tries to start his own movement, I, I just don't see it getting legs. Um, part of part of the Trump appeal this year uh, is also because Hillary's on the other side. Sure, uh, I think that's that's part of it. Uh, other things will change as we move forward. Economic circumstances will change. Uh, people again, people get enthused about candidates and then they get unenthused. Um, and and I think Trump is one of those people. It, it's tough to har- hold a um, hold that that enthusiasm because because there's no there's no core there there's no there there. I mean, you can look back and say, okay, Goldwater, 
uh, he articulated a vision. Uh, there was there was a, a philosophy. There was a, a movement that was it wasn't just him. Uh, it was it was something different. Um, and, and Trump just doesn't have that. It, it's it's very much a cult of personality. Um, and I think people are, are are souring on him. And and as time goes on, we'll continue to sour on him. Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, disagree. I mean, look, take, a, take, a, take a look at like say Sarah Palin. I think it's a different uh, thing. I, I'm going to disagree. I know what you're saying, but I, I, th- I think you're at least a little bit wrong on this because while I, I, I agree in the sense that he doesn't have a uh, an ideological agenda like someone like a Barry Goldwater, I think it's a good comparison. What I think he taps into is something that Sarah Palin tapped into a, a little bit less uh, is that complete distrust in the system that feeling among a lot of Americans, millions of Americans, especially less educated, older white males, that this system, this country is no longer theirs. And I think in a very real way, they're right. And a lot of people see, including myself, see that as a positive development and a good thing. Now, I think in a sense, this problem is self-limiting because just because of demographics. But I think when you put people who used to have all the power and be in charge and so forth and and you change the rules of the game, uh, even if it's for the benefit of all, I think that those people are going to react that way. And I think anyone who can channel that uh, is going to be a powerful person. And, and so I don't know if there's someone else who can do that as well as Trump. I expect not. But I think that at least for the you know, next few years, this is still going to be a big problem for the Republican Party, especially if Donald Trump does what I think he's going to do and will not lose gracefully because I do not see him losing gracefully at all. But uh, I hope you're right. I really do hope you're right. I hope I'm wrong about this because I would like nothing more than to see, for instance, uh, a debate in 2020 between John Kasich and Paul Ryan, you know, two people who I fundamentally disagree with on a lot of stuff, but who I feel are basically decent people who are not uh, uh, narcissistic little demagogues. And so I would welcome that sort of thing. In fact, you know, I kind of hope for that sort of thing, but we'll see. All right. um, If you have a comment, question, or correction for us, you know, please send us an email, politicsguys at gmail.com, or you can message us on the Facebook Politics Guys page. And while we won't read every email on the air or message, we most definitely will personally respond to every listener email and every Facebook message that we get. So and we definitely appreciate hearing from you uh, throughout the week and again on the show. All right. Um, we're running a bit short on time, so I guess that's about it for this week's. I, well, gonna, no, I oh, do have one quick. Okay, under go the ahead, radar please. Story. Yeah, go ahead, Jay. And and actually, it ties into our last question, and that is the performance of GOP Senate candidates. Uh, the the concern had been obviously with Trump at the top of the ticket that he would drag down all of these Senate candidates, and it it doesn't seem to be happening in most cases. It it looks as if these races are being determined on their own merits. Uh, early on, there was some concern that John McCain would be in trouble, uh, and and the polls show that he is not. Uh, there was concern that Rob Portman in Ohio would be in trouble. Uh, the polls show him with a, a wide lead. Um, and again, the, there's been the attempt to tie him to Trump, but it, it just hasn't been successful because, again, Portman is, is a, the type of person who uh, just doesn't – is very much an anti – you know Trump in in character. He's a very quiet, sort of unassuming person, and uh, has has not 
I guess has, has endorsed him as the candidate, has, has very much kept him as far away as possible. Uh, likewise, McCain, who just unendorsed him um, uh, yesterday. Uh, so I, I think the, the fear that, that had been that the, the Trump effect would carry over to Republican down ticket races isn't really being realized. Now, again, would it be better to have a, a uh, candidate that lifts up those those tickets and you know, doesn't provide any downdraft? Yes, it would. Um, but I think there's sort of a silver lining there that the worst fears of Republicans with a, a Trump crash, uh, a train wreck, uh, which is what we appear to be seeing – uh, doesn't seem to be having a huge effect on um, on the Senate races. Well, I'm not so sure you're right about that, but you might be. You might be. There's uh, there's almost a month to go still before the election, and uh, given what's happened, uh, maybe maybe Donald Trump uh, and, and as by the time most listeners will have heard this, the debate will have been over, and so maybe Donald Trump redeems himself in some way. That it's certainly possible, but I think if if things continue on even, don't even get worse for Trump, but just don't get any better, I can see this having a drag because, of course, what we see in opinion polls can be a lot different than what actually happens when voters go out. And if I mean, if uh, if this just depresses turnout a little bit for Republicans, that can make a difference. Right now, uh, the Democrats have a little bit better than an even chance of winning control of the Senate, and I expect that chance to get a little bit better, even more. So so, and now I, they won't take the House. That's not going to happen. Yeah. No, but, and I uh, agree with the, with the Senate. Yeah, the Democrats were always – this was a better year for them just because of in terms of, of sure. what turf – whoever the nominee would have been. Yeah. Um, uh, but my, my point is more that those races are now being determined more on their individual merits for those candidates. Uh, those candidates aren't being seen as, as Trump surrogates. Yeah, and, 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 and maybe – At least not a lot of races. Now, now, you're right on the turnout. The turnout, that could, that could pull them down and that could be – um, be a, a, an issue in close races, but in a lot of these races, they're not they're not close. Right, right. Yeah, so. fair point. Fair point. Absolutely. Okay, and thank, thanks for making that point, Jay. I think that's that's good to good to bring up. So, well, that is it for this week's an uh, action packed, very full episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions for Ask the Politics Guys, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. And now you can also leave a voice message for us by calling our listener line at 408-840-3518. And we have that number on our website as well. Our Facebook page where we post all kinds of stuff throughout the week is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. And if you're interested in helping us keep the show going, sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets and reviewing the show on iTunes, that really does help. And finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, Financially, you can do that through the PayPal or Patreon links on our website. And while you're there, be sure to check out our listener rewards. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.